G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. I'm sorry, but no matter where you are right now, most of the world, 92% of the world would look at your life and they could not imagine that you would ever be discontent. Why then, why do I live as though I am not blessed? Why are there seasons in my life when there is chronic discontent? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. What are you doing with your life? Well, that's one of the tough questions Pastor Jeff is asking in today's message. Hi, I'm Bill, and this is Today with Jeff Vines. In this message, we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 18. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Let's get into this message now with Pastor Jeff. Turn in your Bibles, if you went over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, 18. Okay, let's start out with a few questions. We're in a new series, so let's start out with some new thoughts. All right, here's the first question. What are you doing with your life? Come on now, think about that just for a moment. What are you doing with your life? Where are you spending your time? What are you doing? What are you doing that's meaningful? You get caught up in the rat race, and if you're not careful, you won't examine the more important questions of life. So what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Not what you wish you were doing. What are you actually doing? You know, I mean, a lot of people who somehow think that if I ask all these deep spiritual questions, that's the same as being converted. So as long as I ask questions about God, that's the same thing as being saved. Well, there there has to come a time in your life when you actually solidify some of the answers to questions. Is there a God? And has he revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ? You have to come to terms with that sooner or later. You don't get in just because you're asking deep spiritual questions. You've got to find some conclusions. Same thing is true about your life. You might wish you were living this kind of life. You might wish this is the kind of life you have. But if there's no definitive time in your life where you have this this awesome decision time where you say, I'm going to live this way. This is what my life is ultimately going to be about. Then it really doesn't matter what kind of life you want to live if you never actually live it. Now, here's the second question. What truly matters in your life? What really matters? Now, this is connected to the thought where someone will come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, I like the fact that you forced me to ask these questions, but the reality is I don't have time to think about stuff like this. I can't really live the life that I want to because the world determines that I do a certain amount of things and I don't have time for anything else. I mean, I have to go to school. I got to get an education. I'm trying to 
to uh, get promoted at my job. I'm trying to raise my finances so I can take care of my family and my children and my children's children. I'm working on my marriage. That's a struggle, as you know. That takes work. That takes everything. I've got these children, and all of that requires work and effort. So you ask me what kind of life am I living? I'm living the kind of life that I have to live to survive. That's what kind of life I'm living. Now, this may shock you, but I actually agree with you. I do. In some ways, you live the life according to the hand you've been dealt. Things come across your path. Sometimes you don't have a choice. You have to live this way because this is what you've been presented with. However, if you are a Christ follower, then the thing that truly matters is no matter what you're doing, you are maximizing all of these things for a greater purpose. Jesus. So you are being educated. Of course you're going to get an education. But your motivation for getting the education is so that you can understand God's world so that you can help people far from God come near. That's why we call them universities. Uh, remember uh, on the back of every American coin, a pluribus unum, out of the many one. Universities originally meant you study all of these topics under the heading that there is a sovereign God. Then the more we understand science and math and even social studies, the more we can understand God's world. So even if I, as I get an education, I'm not getting just to get smarter. I'm getting it so that I can understand God's world better so that I can help people far from him come near. You with me? Even in my job, I want a promotion, but I don't want a promotion just so that I can climb every rung of the corporate ladder. I'm after a promotion so that I can take advantage of my position for a cause or a purpose greater than myself. In my marriage, marriage is God's gift to us to conform us to the image of his son. Did you know that? You know, people say, my life would be perfect if I could just get married. And what have we said about that? You obviously have never been married. <laughs> right. But marriage, hard work. It's the way you learn sacrifice and mercy and grace and forgiveness. So God gives us marriage as a way to conform us to the image of his son. Then, then there's children. Oh my. That's our greatest investment. But we're not just raising children. We're creating an entire next generation. It's our greatest investment to help people far from God come near to God. So the point is this. The greater success you experience in all of these areas that I've mentioned, the greater your potential to impact the world around you. So go back. What are you doing with your life? Well, there's a variety of things, and they're all okay. But what is it that truly matters? What is it? That whatever you do, you do everything as if you're doing it to the Lord and for the Lord. Now, here's the next question. Stay with me. Here's, it gets better. Do you consider yourself to be fortunate? Yes. Okay. How do you compare with the rest of the world as you're seated here? There are experiences that God gives every single one of us to help open our eyes. That is my prayer for this whole series. And as you grow and mature in your faith in Jesus, he sends you more and more experiences because typically the world will take you away from God, not closer to him. So he has to shake you up. He's got to pull the rug out from under you. He has to do whatever it takes to open your eyes to reality, the way the world is, or at least the way it should be. Now, I had that experience 
when I was in Armenia this year. We were in the capital of Armenia called Yerevan. The population of the country of Armenia is two million and one million, half of them all live in the city of Yerevan. Coffee shops there don't open till 8.30, which is not good. <laughs> the reason it doesn't open till 8.30, for some reason, Armenians love to stay up very late. Most activity takes place around 10 to 1 a.m. in the morning, so they're not ready to open early. In fact, they may tell you they're going to open at 8.30, but in reality, open when they're ready to open. <laughs> so I would make my way every morning from our little Airbnb that my daughter Sian had organized for us. I knew that if I went to the coffee shop and it wasn't open, if I just walk another mile, there were these two young guys, real entrepreneurs, who would open up a little open-air coffee stand. And I knew I could get coffee 24-7. They never closed. God bless them. <laughs> and as I sat there on the park bench early in the morning to start my study, there was this fresh spring water well that people would come early in the morning. I mean, the water in Armenia is unbelievable. It's one of the few countries you can actually drink it. It just comes right down out of the mountains. And I would notice all of these people coming up and down the street looking for anything that might have been left over from the night before, and most of them were older. Armenia has marginalized its elderly and given all the jobs to the young and cast the elderly aside. There's no social security. Nothing to help them survive. So I noticed that early in the morning as I sat there, all of these people, my age, yes, I'm older now, my age, guys my age walking up and down the streets trying to find something to survive. And I learned that 50% of the people in Armenia live on less than $5 a day. That's the price I paid every morning for a coffee. Let me ask you again. Do you consider yourself fortunate? I looked that word up because as I'm sitting there, seated there on the bench, I think I had a come to Jesus moment. Jesus said, hey, let's you and me talk while I've got your attention. And I looked up the definition of fortunate. Here's what it is. Receiving good from uncertain or unexpected sources, lucky. Now, if that's the definition of fortunate, then I'm not. Because I know the source of blessings. 1 Timothy 6.17 is going to tell us that he is God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I'm not fortunate or lucky. I'm blessed. All good things come from God. He's the source of all good things. Psalm 31 says, how great is his goodness stored up for those who fear him. So, the final question. Why then do I, now let's forget about you for a moment. Well, not really. Why do I live as though I am not blessed and in fact are unfortunate? Why are there seasons in my life when there is chronic discontent, be honest. Do you ever have a week where you're just miserable? Just discontent. Doesn't matter what happens or what you have or don't have, you're just not happy. Why would that? You know, there are most of the world, in fact, I'll show you in a second, 92% of the world would look at your life, I'm sorry, but no matter where you are right now, and they could not imagine that you would ever be discontent. But me, I want better vacations. I want better golf clubs. I want better clothing. I want more free time. I don't want to have to work so hard. I want more liberty and freedom to do what I want to do and when I want to do it, I want to be rich. 
Now, not all the time. Come on, be honest. Don't play Mr. and Mrs. Spiritual on me. Be honest. Then I started thinking, well, how do you know that you are rich? Does the wife come home one day and say, honey, I went to the bank today. I've got some news for you. We're rich. Today, we officially crossed the line. It's official. Tell the kids they can tell all their friends. <laughs> do you know that if you make, and I, I, Pastor Jeff, I've heard you say this before. Okay, let's let me say it one more time, just in a short little excerpt here, and I'll move on. Do you know that if you earn $34,000 a year or more, you're in the top 4% of wage earners on the planet? Did you know that? Now, some of you are going to go home later and Google that. I did not say your net worth. That's different. But if you earn, your salary is more than $35,000 this year, you're in the top 4%. 96% of the world is poorer than you. Do you make $45,000 or more a year? Then you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Now, you may be the lower 1%, but you're in the 1%. Do you live in the U.S.? We are 6% of the world's population, and we consume over 40% of the world's resources. No, I don't think we should apologize for that because we produce much of the world's resources. It's an affluent country. And a lot of that, I believe, has to do with blessings that are outside of ourselves. Now, I don't want to go down that road, but there is value in a Judeo-Christian worldview foundation. That's another issue. Do you own a car? Only 8% of the people in the world own a car. 92% have to walk and ride a bicycle. And you own two or three. Do you have access to clean drinking water? One billion people have no access. One billion to clean drinking water. 800 million people will not eat today. 300 million children will not eat today. One billion people live on a dollar a day or less. We can feed the entire world with $25 billion a year, and that's how much Americans spend on ice cream. You following me? That got me thinking about my life because I did not grow up wealthy. I was one of those kids in school that couldn't afford to go on the school trips. We didn't have the money. My athletic gear was always on layaway. Do you remember layaway? That's when you didn't get it until you paid for it. You laid it away. Now they give it to you. Then they try to chase you down for the money. We never went out to eat. I noticed that I had a lot less clothing than most of my friends, and definitely not designer stuff. I had three brothers, and we were all in one bedroom, two double bunk beds. But in 1985, I went to Africa for the first time, and I met a little lady on a mat at a hospital near Mashoko Village. The totality of her existence was on that mat in a one-room mud hut, and she walked every day to get water from the well tried to grow her own vegetables, that was it. And she smiled all the time. And I asked her through a translator, what is the best thing you can tell me? She goes, the best thing I know is Jesus. <laughs> People live in one-room huts. They own no cars. They walk miles to church and school. They live off their gardens. They often go hungry if there's drought. They have no access to medical care. And they're smiling. 800 million people will not eat today. 300 million being children. I have so much food in my house, I sometimes have to throw the old food away to make room for the new food. Don't you? My Zimbabwean friends who depend on the rains and the fields for harvest in hopes that they can have vegetables to eat with what they call their mill or sudza, 
I could go down the road to a food warehouse and I could choose from many types of whatever I want. Where most of my friends during difficult times in those nations would love to have a loaf of bread, I could go down to the supermarket and I could choose from like 20 kinds of bread. Wheat bread, white bread, multigrain, Old Testament bread. <laughs> and then what I've been eating a lot of lately, Dave's bread, which is like what, six bucks? And most of you have heard me say this in the past. My car has a better home than 92% of the rest of the world. It's called a garage. Oh yeah, your garage where you keep your little car is better than 92% of the world's homes. Your car, your garage. You say, Pastor Jeff, am I supposed to feel guilty for that? No. If you're feeling guilty, forget it. That's not the purpose. But to further complicate things, the Bible word for rich assumes basic shelter, food, and clothing. In other words, if you've got one room, now not a monstrosity that we live in. See, most of the rest of the world, small homes and multifamilies. The Bible word for rich means basic shelter, basic food, basic clothing. We probably throw away in our lifetime more than most people will ever hope or dream of owning. Now here's the question then. If the Bible's word for rich means have food, basic food, shelter, and clothing, and you still got something left. Then the question is, why do we get to live that way? Why us? Why are you and I, why do we get to live here? Why do we get to be in the top 4%, 1%? And then I realize when I'm seated on that park bench, it's the wrong question. <laughs> Because I can't answer it. Only God knows the answer. But there is a right question. And here's the right question. What now? Since I am blessed, what? Am I accountable? Is there some sense of responsibility? Where to from here? And that's where I find this truth that is fundamental to the Christian life. Absolutely fundamental. Now, let me just, let me take a breath. This is not a giving sermon. Oh, oh thank God. No, 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 no. Don't let me lose you because you think I'm going to go to the tithing at the end of it. No, 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 no. This series, I'm trying to open your eyes to something far beyond money. Okay? So take a deep breath and relax and listen. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything to our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So let me just ask you, who are the rich ones? It's hard to admit that, isn't it? It's just so hard. You, according to the Bible definition, you're the rich ones. I'm the rich ones. Rich is having more than you need for basic survival. You going to worry about food today? Probably not. Roof over your head. You know, even the people who struggle and go to God's pantry for food, do you realize most of the rest of the world doesn't have that option? If I were to tell my friends in Zimbabwe, you know there's a place in L.A. that you can just go and they'll give you free food. What? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have water to drink? Then you're rich. 
You and I are in the top 5% of wealthy in this world. In fact, do you know that if you have $4,000 in your bank account, that's more than half the rest of the world. If that's all you had, as a result, the Bible tells us, and notice he says command, it's not, it's not optional. Command those who are rich. And then he says, number one, make sure they understand that there's a trap you could fall into. And here's the trap. You could become arrogant. Hypselophroneo is the Greek term that means, it's a compound word that means to think lofty. So here's the warning. Since we're the rich ones, you can begin to think that you deserve these blessings. That you're smart and that you're clever and you're hardworking. That you're the ruler, the king, and the lord of your life. That your talents and abilities come from you. You know, I used to have a lot of respect for athletes. I, I still do. But it's different. Because if God gave me that talent, I could hit a ball like that. They're like modern-day gladiators. No matter how much I practice golf, I'm never going to be Tiger Woods. It's a gift. People pay to see them perform. And in my opinion, we value the wrong things in our culture. But not all athletes are unaware. Here's a great quote by Clayton Kershaw. Whatever God has given us, we are just the vessel for it. It belongs to him. Kershaw says, I'm talented. I got it. I can throw a fastball, curveball, change up, whatever. I get paid. But it's given to me by God. I'm just the vessel. The warning is, be careful that you don't fall into the trap if you think you're arrogant. Well, I'm like this because I'm better than everybody else. The second thing is, be careful that since you have so much of it, your hope doesn't become in it. The danger is that you will say, this wealth, listen now, the danger is you'll say, what I have now, I'm always going to have. But you got no guarantee. In fact, we in America have been on a long run. It could end. And if your hope and security is in that, your identity will be attacked and you will suffer greatly. He said, be careful. You know, when my son Delaney was a boy, I think he's like eight or nine years old, and he started to get addicted to, remember Nintendo? Are, they, are those even still around? He loved Nintendo, and his mother would let him only play it a few hours, or one hour, I think, a day, and he had to finish his schoolwork. And then she moved it to weekends only. Well, it was a great way to threaten him. Son, if you do not, if you do not start doing what your mother asked you to do, usually he complied, but if you really wanted to scare him, you take away Nintendo. You hit him where it hurts. It's the end of the world if I can't get on the Nintendo. And I remember one time he had been talking back to his mother, and I came home, and Robin said, you got to deal with him. Get in there and deal with your son. And I went in and said, Delaney, let me tell you something. If I come home one more time, and your mother told, tells me that you're not doing what she asked you to do, I'm taking away Mr. Tin Nintendo. You know what he did? <laughs> he took a $1 bill out of his pocket that his grandpa had given him, and he slides it over to me, and he says, maybe Mr. Washington can change your mind. <laughs> What kind of kid does that? <laughs> See, the problem with wealth is that you think you can manipulate your world to get what you want. You don't need God. You just need more money, a better life, more freedom, more liberty, more happiness, more pleasurable satisfaction. 
But Paul reminds Timothy that all these things come from God. They might give you a temporary feeling of pleasurable satisfaction, but what you're really looking for, it comes from God. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. We're all miserable. We're depressed. We're all on edge. You know why? Because we're trying to get something from something that is not wired to deliver it. He says, command them to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. See, you know what we're looking for? We're looking for perpetual joy. We're looking for something that will make us happy all the time. And only God can do that. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.